This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. So one of the things they teach you in Sunday school is the Lord giveth and the Lord giveth away. These days, it's more the government giveth and the government taketh away. And today, we're actually going to talk about robbing Peter to pay Peter. And that is the, uh, that's the topic of several Wall Street Journal articles that our guest today, Judge Glock, has contributed um, to talk about this idea of tax disincentives, not just the incentives, um, but which we talk about all the time, of course, on this show, but the tax disincentives and how does tax actually disincentivize people from working and from other productive uh, labors. And so uh, we're just very grateful to have Judge Glock from the Manhattan Institute on our show today. Judge, welcome to the WealthAbility Show. Uh, thanks so much for having me. And Judge, if you would, just give us a little of your background and, and particularly why this topic and why now? Uh, yeah, so uh, my background is I was a former economic professor. I, I focused on economic history. Uh, I dealt a lot with things like housing, housing finance, uh, urban policy, all of which were issues where tax, uh, borrowing and lending, and uh, government transfers or benefits loom large. Uh, my dad also happens to do a lot of tax law, so I, I grew up around the, the table uh, hearing about that and couldn't avoid it, uh, despite my best efforts as a kid and eventually became interested in it. So, uh, yeah, the this particular issue that just came out of the recognition that in today's large tax and welfare state, a lot of families that receive benefits the government are also going to be paying taxes. And how big is that? I wanted to investigate how substantial that is kind of in our whole tax and transfer system. Yeah. So let, let's talk about some of those disincentives. Now, um, I, in, in full disclosure, I recently um, uh, I, I turned 66 and a half this year, which means that technically I can take um, Social Security. The challenge is is that I have a big disincentive to take Social Security right now because 85% of that Social Security is going to be taxed. That's one of these disincentives you're talking about, right, um, Judge, where, okay, you're getting the benefit, but then we're taking back some of that benefit. What do you think, if, if you would, just from a general policy perspective, what's your thoughts on the policy of pulling back some of those benefits and, you know, the idea is, well, it's more affordable to these people. You know, it's, it's really pulling it back because they're still working. But the reality is, is that if I weren't working, I get the full benefit. And if I am working, I get two thirds of the benefit. So, you know, it, it, there is definitely a disincentive there to work. Exactly. And and that's one of the biggest problems with, uh, with that, with the taxing social security benefits. And uh, originally, social security benefits were not taxed at all. Right. Uh, it was a tax deal back in 1983 that first began the taxation of them. And from many people's perspective, this was kind of a non-issue. Taxing people on their Social Security was, quote unquote, equivalent to just giving them less of it uh, in the first place. Uh, but as you already noted, there are significant disincentive effects to taxing Social Security like other income. Uh, that's increasing your overall marginal tax rate, the amount of taxes you pay on what you saved, uh, your pension withdrawals, other things like that. Um, having that higher tax rate on Social Security can bump you into a, a different tax bracket. 
uh, all of that discourages people from saving for retirement. If part of uh, your Social Security is actually not just going to be taxed away, but it's going to be counted as part of your income, uh, then you're going to face the danger of, well, it makes maybe more sense for me not to to earn a little extra money if I'm just going to get taxed away and or save a little extra money. And I've since I've published uh, that Wall Street Journal article, I've already heard from people who describe just the rigmarole they have to do to try to avoid the Social oh, yeah. Security taxes and keep their income down, which is just you know, a it's waste a of human life. The policy puts these in, uh, these incentives in place, and then we all have to kind of run around and deal with them. Um. So some of these so, some of these disincentives. Let's talk about tax as a disincentive to begin with. Um. I mean, the the term tax is simply a drag, right? It's to tax something is to put a weight against it and to to slow it down. Um. What is the policy behind taxing? Is it just saying, well, look, if, if you have the, the means, then we're going to tax some of this back from you. Is that the policy behind it? Or is is there even a or even is there a consistent policy behind it? There, there's a few different policies, none of which I've described as exactly consistent, but all of them uh, uh, have some some suspect logic behind it. So yes, the basic idea of taxation and kind of a lot of what our, our government does, uh, taking from A to give to B, is that A supposedly has enough resources, money, and they should be taxed in order to give to B, who is in need. Now, how we define need is variable. For Social Security, it could just mean someone who's older and therefore supposedly more in need. For unemployment, it could be someone who's just lost their job. Uh, but for other things such as food stamps or housing subsidies. It could just be people who have less income on the whole. Uh, so the goal of all those taxes is just kind of take from the, the better off, give to the worse off in some fashion. Other taxes, such as the Social Security tax itself, uh, the idea there is we're in some sense contributing to our own Social Security savings. Uh, but in reality, those usually have a very loose connection to, to what you're actually going to receive in Social Security. And part of what my report looks at is if you look at all of these different, um, these taxing systems, especially the kind of idea of taxing A to give to B, it doesn't make much sense when a lot of B today, the people who receive the government benefits are also being taxed. Exactly, not just Social Security, but a lot of people receiving food stamps, housing subsidies, veterans benefits, all sorts of things are paying substantial amounts of taxes. Uh, but if you think about that, in total, both the taxes and benefits together, you have this strange, strange circular system where you're paying a lot of money to, to the government and then they're giving it back to you after, you know, the, the middleman and the bureaucracy in D.C. takes their cut off the top, which which seems like a big waste. Yeah. So so clearly a, a very inefficient um, way to do it. Um, but is it is, do you think a lot of the kind of how this has expanded over the years um, is because more and more people are getting benefits than they used to get. I mean, you know, a lot more people are, are, are um, can get food stamps now than could ever get food stamps before. A lot more people, uh, we've got this, uh, now we've got a bill right now to increase the child tax credit. Um, I, I had during the pandemic, one of my employees who I would have considered a fairly well-paid employee, he was a manager, um, his tax credits, now he had eight kids, his tax credits were in the $40,000 range. 
I mean, not nothing. <laughs> it's not nothing, you know, and, and of course I'm not going to complain because I got PPP loans. Right. So, <laughs> I, you know, you, you, you can't, you can't complain about it. Um, but there is a question here um, of is, is the issue in the taxing it or is the issue in um, the delivering those benefits to the middle income people in the first place? I, I would say mainly the latter, but both are, are an issue. So the yes, in, in recent years, we've seen a continual expansion of what you can call the welfare state are just transfers from, from the government to, to individuals and families. And a lot of that has moved transfers further and further up the, the income ladder. This is not just you know, welfare for, for people who don't have jobs and so forth. This is people exactly who are working, uh, who are often raising families, who, as I also point out, are paying substantial amounts of taxes. Uh, and like you say, to my mind, there's a lot of confusion uh, about this because, uh, like you say, you know, you can't complain because, hey, we also get PPE loans, people also get tax credits. But to my mind, too many people view that as, kind of just a free benefit from the government when actually I imagine for people like you, that's mainly just kind of returning a lot of the taxes that that you've already paid for the government that year. And part of the point of this report was to, to kind of both answer those people that say, hey, you know, the as Romney maybe called them back in the day, the 47% that, that aren't paying taxes are getting the benefits. A lot of them actually are paying taxes too. Uh, to answer that, but two to answer those who uh, who are kind of looking for a more expansive welfare state to say, hey, maybe this isn't so beneficial if you have to tax the people more and more to give them back some benefits. Getting a giant child tax credit or a stimulus payment when you're paying more than that in taxes, and in the end, we all have to pay this in taxes sooner or later, probably isn't a great benefit. And in fact, is a waste, partially because the administrative costs and partially because the disincentive effects you mentioned. Interesting. So th there are a number of things I want to I want to get into here. Uh, I want to go back to something you were talking about as far as a disincentive a disincentive to save for retirement. Um, the the 401k, as we know, this is the primary retirement vehicle now for most uh, Americans, is taxed when you pull it out. So it's deducted when you put it in. So you do you aren't being taxed on the money that you earn to put into that. But when it comes out, you're being taxed on the money coming out. And the reality is, is that the more you save, the higher your rate. So it's not just that, okay, you you have disproportionately less money, the more money you save. And uh, is, is that what you're talking about? And would you change that to make all 401ks deductible going in and non-taxable coming out? Well, I mean, that would, that would make them a little closer, obviously, to the to the Roth IRA, which uh, allows you to uh, take the tax-free withdrawals out of that. Um, but, and I, I wouldn't say what's sort of the best method to kind of deal with this problem, but, but the simplest thing would be to kind of limit the taxes that are on the retirees that were, are receiving these benefits writ large. Because uh, if we do have this massive system that's providing social security uh, and other systems and providing the, the tax deduction originally for 401k, but we're adding the taxes incredibly on the back end. Uh, yeah, all of this is a disincentive to save for retirement. Yeah, as you say, it's not just that you lose some of the tax on the other side when you retire, it's that your rate is going up. 
And the rate going up, taking more and more every time that rate goes up, is it proportionally less uh, worthwhile for an individual to save? And right now, the, the disincentives for saving retirement are, are surprisingly large because of the amount of taxes uh, our retirees are, are paying right now and the reduction in benefits they get, not just uh, uh, not just on their Social Security, but the more they would have to pay for Medicare, the more they have to pay yeah. for uh, other programs, the more the less benefits they get elsewhere. As some of retirees, you know, you could lose Medicaid, which some people get in retirement to, or get later into life as well, if you save too much. Uh, all of that is the government constantly telling people, save less for retirement, uh, think less about your future, which is not a good thing we want. It's still worthwhile in America to save, uh, but the government's just making much harder than it should be. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think it's just people have looked mainly at the expansion of the welfare state uh, as a sort of sort of unalloyed benefit to the people you're providing the those transfers to, Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, et cetera, and not thought about the taxes side of it, that every dollar of that sooner or later has to be paid back with a tax. And so you'll expand the benefits. And then, you know, often a few years down the road, you realize, well, we have to raise taxes on that. And there's only so many very, very wealthy people uh, right. you can raise taxes on. So what that means is the sort of broad middle class, they have to get those increased taxes uh, over the long run. And part of what I was trying to describe here is that you really need to think of both sides of the equation, even for the beneficiaries of these benefit payments when you're creating them. It's not just the beneficiaries of these payments, uh, whether they're yeah, increased health insurance subsidies or Medicare or whatever. Uh, it's not just they get those benefits and those can sometimes have disincentive effects. It's that they're often going to be taxed to pay for them. And you have to kind of net that out if you're considering the effects of these new programs. And as they keep going bigger and bigger, uh, you have more and more people uh, being taxed to pay for the very programs they're receiving. You know, it's interesting because it does it does put a heavy cost in time and effort that you're spending to avoid the disincentive. So so you know, we always we we hear of the the uh the the single mother in uh, South Chicago, for example, who fourth generation welfare and they literally know the system so well that they can maximize their benefits. Okay, well they've they've got a whole lifetime of training. But when you think about it, everybody has to look at this, right? It's oh. not just it, it, it's it's not just the the person on quote unquote welfare, but anybody who's I mean, like you you mentioned Medicare. So my Medicare is is actually not that much less than if I got private health insurance, and um, but if I weren't working, it, it would be free. So you know, there, there's this this there is this. Um, function we have to consider in our planning. We don't just have to plan for how do we re reduce our taxes overall, but we actually have to, have to look at okay, when do we take Social Security? I mean, there's a whole there. I mean, there's a whole industry that is cropped up of how to maximize your Social Security based on you know how how long you're going to live, what you know what your family is like. You know, maybe AI will give us some simple tools. For <laughs> for this um judge i mean I, I hope so because it's a lot of it's a lot of work yeah it's uh, it's what some economists refer to as the shoe leather costs that we all have to kind of run around a lot more to meet the the requirements of these programs to look at our income to see how they compare 
uh, uh, to the, the requirements of these different programs, again, to see how these programs can affect your tax bracket and your overall taxation. Uh, all of those things are real costs in terms of human life. And as you say, at this point, it's definitely not just the uh, single mother on welfare and public housing. This is all of us. We all have to think about this. Many of these programs have asset requirements. And so if you save too much for retirement right. uh, and uh, well, uh, maybe it would be, make more sense for me not to save anything because then I could get these benefits from Medicare or Medicaid that I wouldn't get otherwise. Uh, and that's a huge thing for, for people to think about. I know a lot of people approaching the possibility of uh, a nursing home. It would be devastating for them to pay for a nursing home out of, out of pocket, but if they can get Medicaid support, uh, they can do that, but they'd have to run down all their assets pretty much to do it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, this, it's this. actually one of the reasons that from an estate planning standpoint, you see a lot of trusts so that um, and, and these are special needs. There's a term special needs trust. Well, the idea is to prevent the, uh, you know, your child, let's whether it's a child or parent, whoever, to prevent that person from meeting, you know, from, from not meeting the asset test or, or having too much income, you put the assets into trust and now, okay, now they get these other government benefits, but it just seems like such a waste of time and effort to, to, to be having to spend this time gaming the system. And yeah. You know, people people complain all the time about well, the rich don't pay tax. They're gaming the system and going. Well, if you're not, yeah, I mean, everybody's playing. Everybody's in the game. You don't have a choice whether you're in the game or not. The question yeah. is, are you going to win the game? You're going to lose the game. How, how well are you going to do in the game? And I forget who said it back in the day that, uh, in regards to sort of people uh, receiving welfare, that uh, it would be illogical for us to think that people are any less likely or able at exploiting the welfare system than the rich are at exploiting the tax system. Uh, but that's, as you say, it's not so much a question of exploiting, it's a question of the very incentives the system puts in place. And and our, and as you've discussed already, this is not two totally separate categories anymore. This is not the individual on welfare and then the rich person paying taxes. These are all mixed up together. And as you said, there's just a huge cost to all of us in time and effort and thought and and worry frankly about how to meet all these strange benefits and asset uh, asset and income requirements uh there's not i would add that there's not great estimates on how much this really does cost us sort of in time and money there's a little better estimates for what it costs the government so obviously it costs the government money to receive applications for food stamps and uh, process the checks and send them out. Some estimates for some of these programs say cost about 15 cents for every dollar distributed just on the government side. So that's a big waste just on its own. Uh, and, you know, then if you look at the personal waste, again, to apply to this, getting the tax attorneys, getting these uh, paying for these businesses that try to maximize your social security return, that's a waste too. Uh, the disincentive effects in terms of well, you're not saving as much as you'd like because you'd have to meet these other requirements. That's a waste too. Uh, all of this is is costing a lot of money uh, and time and effort for for people that are trying to save. Yeah, it's so interesting. So we've been. I I, I think you you're focusing mostly on income tax, correct? And and the income tax people pay. But the reality is is that everybody poor, middle-class, rich, everybody pays sales tax. Everybody pays um, excise taxes. Um, anybody who owns property owns pro pays property tax. So there are other taxes you're talking about, not just income tax, right? 
Oh, exactly. In my report, where I estimated that about 20% of all benefits received from the government are returned in taxes, that was just looking at state and federal income taxes and your FICA taxes, your payroll, Social Security, Medicaid, your 15.3% you pay when you're you're earning your income. Uh, but as you point out, and as I try to point out in the report, that is just a, a, a portion and around about, depending on how you look at it, half or so of all of the government income they get, the government gets uh, from people. Now, yeah, sales taxes are huge. We all pay some of the, the excise taxes. We pay the tariffs. Uh, we pay the corporate taxes as either shareholders or as uh, employees, and those impact us. Uh, yeah, we pay property taxes. So my argument uh, in the paper is that 20% of all benefits that I estimated were returned as taxes would be much, much larger especially if you looked at things like sales taxes. Uh, that is that is a lot of people that are receiving these benefits uh, are paying substantial amount in sales taxes, you know, depending on which state you're in, anywhere six to you know eight plus percent. Uh, that is a is a big tax. And a lot of those are going to pay for those same programs that they're receiving. Medicaid is a joint federal and state program. Uh, and a lot of those Medicaid dollars are coming from the sales tax which means a lot of the people receiving Medicaid are putting that money in the sales tax hopper, sending it up to the state capital in Austin or Albany, and then getting a portion of it back down, which again, is just a strange waste. So if you were actually making the policy, how would you change things? Well, the best way to do it would be just to limit the transfers to those actually in need. Uh, now, some people would claim this is a way to punish the middle class or take away benefits the middle class has received. But when you look at it in the framework of both taxes and uh, benefits, if you cut both the taxes and benefits to the middle class, broadly speaking, at the same time, you don't cost anybody a dime, but you save everybody a lot of time and effort. The administrative effort from the government, the administrative effort on behalf of families and individuals, uh, that's a huge savings. In fact, you can shrink the government significantly by doing that, cutting both taxes and benefits at the same time uh, without costing any of these households a dime, uh, which is exactly what I what I advocate doing. And at the same time, focus benefits on those truly in need. Cut the taxes and benefits simultaneously to those who are paying substantial taxes. And benefits should really only go to those people who aren't paying much in taxes because they don't have any income so They, they, should, they should be consistent. In yeah. other words, you're just saying, let's let's make the tax system and the benefit system um, consistent. And the, the the challenge, of course, what I, what I always say is Congress giveth and the IRS taketh away, right? So Congress has all these great incentives and they have all these great programs. And yet then the IRS comes and say, no, 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 no. We're, we're not going to let you do it that way. We're going to actually restrict it, which is actually what the Chevron case, right? That the Supreme Court is looking at. Chevron case is actually looking at, does the IRS get to make law like that? And so you do have a lot of the administrative agencies. Um, do you find that, that a lot of the administrative agencies are reducing the benefits that the government intended? They both face... They are they face pressure from both sides. Obviously, some places like the IRS are a little more skinflint and they're they're often concerned about limiting the amount of deductions. And they face a lot of very intelligent lawyers on the other side uh, of the table who are very creative at finding ways to maximize those. You have other places, you know, maybe like the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which distributes food stamps and the local 
uh, and state offices that that work on applications is to try to maximize those benefits. Uh, it certainly depends on the sort of agency, but as you point out, just part of the danger here is the raw amount of discretion uh, this gives to those agencies. Beyond that kind of 15 cents on the dollar cost of administration uh, that I talked about earlier for U.S. benefits programs, you have just the, the issue of the more benefits you give through these complicated systems, the more discretion you give to someone in an office in D.C. to decide who gets what. And that's always a little dangerous. So when you think about somebody, uh, go, go a little granular here, and you think about the average person. So everybody is going to get some government benefit, presumably, at some point in their life. Right. And uh, we all experience massive government benefits during the pandemic, but ignore pandemics for a minute. And let's just talk about normal daily life. You have, um, you know, you have the um, you have the middle class uh, benefits like child tax credits. Right. Dependent care credits, adoption credits, things like that, that are um, real, real, you know, or earned income credits. Right. That are available based on income, but not too much income, right? A little bit of income. You mentioned the $2,500, right? Yeah. If you, if you have to earn some, I mean, the, you have to earn some, you have to earn $2,500 to get this new child tax credit, but $2,500 is not a whole lot of work we're talking yeah. about here. Um, even at minimum wage, that's not a whole lot of, of time working during the year. So um, what does a person do? To, to manage all this because it, it is actually a, we do have to manage it. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have any great advice, probably no better advice than you have who deals more with the, uh, you know, the personal financial side with this, except to say that these are very complicated questions that precisely require a lot of the attention people like yourself give to it uh, because the government has set up these very complicated programs in place. The best I can say is that ideally all of these would be simplified a lot and ideally, too, people would stop referring to uh, a lot of the people who receive government benefits, but simultaneously pay a lot of taxes as beneficiaries of the sort of welfare state. Uh, if you're still paying more in taxes than you're saying, uh, paying over in benefits, that's that's a net loss to you still. The fact that you got a big stimulus, someone got a big stimulus payment um, is not a, a reason to start singing to the high heavens about the the benefits. Uh, the benefits of the government, if you paid twice that or three times that in income taxes that year, uh, that's just a cert giving your own money back to you in some sense. Uh, so again, just simplifying all that in the government side would make everyone's life a lot easier. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really a different perspective. It's like I say in my, my book, Behind Me, Tax-Free Wealth, and say rule number one is it's your money. And if you look at it, I think there are people in government, though, that look at it as it's the government's money. And that anything they give back to you is a gift from the government. Yeah. And to, to me, it <laughs> I have a hard, I can't, I can't go there because it's especially since in our constitution, I mean, the, the foundation of the American government is personal property rights. And personal property rights means that, you know, we're one of the few countries that own that individuals own energy rights, right? Individuals own um, the minerals in the ground. Individuals own the, the land. That's not really necessarily common in every country. And so yeah. if, you, if you start with that premise, though, that we are a country based on property rights, then you, you have to go to the next step, which is, look, 
what you're saying. The government's really giving you back something that was yours in the first place. And so maybe what the government ought to be doing is doing, I actually find a lot of the tax incentives, they, they can be very efficient. Okay. There are some efficiencies in doing things tax-wise. There's a reason why the pandemic payments were made through the IRS. It's a more efficient way to do it than some other way of, of making those payments. And so um, maybe it's a matter of just, you know, uh, really focusing some of that policy on the tax law, which uh, none of us in the tax field would be opposed to. It is a, it, it's such a complex area, but at the same time, it's something that it's, you know, we can deal with it. I think that technology will help us deal with it better. And I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, you can continue your voice in encouraging a better policy um, from this standpoint. I think we need to encourage our politicians, certainly, to uh, create better policy. And I, 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 um, I certainly think that we need to take control of our own lives and say, okay, if this is the game and we're in this game, are we going to be winners or losers in this game? I agree. And uh, exactly. It's important to start from the perspective. If you earned it, it is your money. And uh, we should always start there and set the perspective that the government is distributing largesse. They only got that because they took it from somebody. And often that somebody was you, the person who paid it in the first place. I, I love it. And the, the reason that these discussions are so important, not yes, it's important to understand policy, but it's really it, understanding policy is understanding what's going on in the world that's going to affect your in your personal life here, the life of your parents, the life of your kids, um, in my case, life of my grandkids. And so e even if we can't, you know, if even if, you know, I don't see big policy changes in the, in the near future, but wouldn't it be great if my six-year-old, my eight-year-old grandchildren um, were able to have some, some policy benefits? I would love that. I'm um, in the meantime, uh, as we learn more about policy, as we really understand how these disincentives work along with the tax incentives, we're always going to make way more money and pay way less tax. We'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to WealthAbility.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.